Hey, John Lim here. We've got a great episode. In fact, the next three episodes, it is my honor to welcome a very special guest, Sensei William Christopher Ford. He's an actor. He's a martial artist. He's a uh, producer. He's a content creator. He's an author. And I'm so excited to share his story on Moving Forward. So this is episode 312. How are you today, Sensei Ford? Well, I'm doing great, John. Thanks again for having me on the show. What an honor and a pleasure. No, the honor and the pleasure is all mine. And we're going to talk a lot about your career, particularly in the next episode, since a lot of uh, my listeners are Karate Kid fans. I'm a huge Karate Kid fan. We're going to talk about Karate Kid 3, but there's okay. so much more to your story. And, and today, I really want to focus on your background. So, uh, uh, you know, William, where'd you grow up? Well, I actually was born in Long Beach, California. Okay. And um, I actually spent most of my life growing up in Gardena and Torrance. They're, oh, um, yeah. they're border cities, so, you know. And, um, you know, my mother is from Japan, mm -hmm. and my father was from the far-off land of Oregon. Um, oh, wow. And um, they um, – well, they met. They had me. And um, I actually lived – for a couple of years in Australia. I grew up for two years in Australia from the time I was two to the time I was four. My father was working for some company called Textronics, and I think he was transferred over there. Okay. And uh, once I came back to the States, I very quickly lost my Aussie accent, and I spent most of my time, as I said earlier, in Gardena and Torrance. Oh, wow. So, so Southern California has always been your home then. Pretty much. Yeah, except for the, the stint in Australia. So I, have you ever, have you made it back there since? You know what? I haven't returned, but I definitely want to go back. Yeah, it's a pretty, uh, I haven't been, but, uh, you know, people I've talked to have been there. Everyone says it's pretty amazing. So well, it sounds like you've got a very interesting background. And I know, and we're going to get into your teaching, but share a little bit about your martial arts background because uh, you've done some pretty amazing things with it. But, uh, uh, you know, when did you start and uh, what styles did you train in? Okay. Well, John, my first in inspiration in the martial arts was actually David Carradine on the Kung Fu show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. I mean, that was even before I got into martial arts. And um, that was because it was my favorite show. And I was like, oh, I got to watch Kane. <laughs> um, I remember my dad one time, you know, telling me, no, 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 you got to go to bed. He, he forgot it was Kung Fu night, you know, and he, you know, no, you got to go to bed. It's bedtime. And I was so angry at him. And then like the next day he was like, oh, son, I'm so sorry. I forgot it was Kung Fu night last night, you know, but um, I was just like, dad, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just seeing a guy who used his martial arts to become superhuman, you know, that was like the appeal for me. And, you know, I think that's, that's the draw to it for a lot of people. It's like, yeah, I want to be able to protect myself and I want to be able to go and get my vengeance on the bully. You know, that, that's sort right. of a, you know, a, a thing. Maybe it's a human thing, right? We, we Absolutely. Always, we're looking for comeuppance and revenge and retribution and all that, <laughs> you know? Um, and then my second influence, this is prior to me actually getting into the martial arts, was there was a uh, theme park in Southern California, Orange County, actually, Buena Park. And it was called Japanese Deer Park and Village. Okay. And it was a themed park that was basically recreating the, um, I guess, the Japan of old, Um you know, the the hosts were dressed in, you know, Japanese attire, you know, kimonos and whatnot. They had Japanese dance shows. They had um, 
pearl divers and they also had a martial arts show a karate demonstration that mm-hmm. was um performed by none other than Fumio Demura. Ah, yes, a name that Karate Kid fans will know very well actually. So um yeah, yeah that's very cool. So that was uh, that was, was that your first kind of introduction to Fumio Demura? That was, and it was my first time seeing martial arts and specifically karate performed live, and it was mesmerizing. Oh yeah, yeah. You I mean, know, and and the contrast from what you saw on the Kung Fu series, because if I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, David Carradine at the time was not a martial artist, was he, when he was on that show? You know, he is a tremendous actor, um, better than a lot of people remember him sometimes for. Um, and I believe Bruce Lee, according to memory, I believe that was supposed to be Bruce Lee's thing and it didn't come to be. Yeah. Um, so David Carradine was not a martial artist, um, but he worked with a lot of great martial artists on that show, particularly in the, uh, you know, the Shaolin Temple sequences. Um but he himself was not an avid practitioner at the time. He's just, right. He, he, as I understand, he later became a practitioner, uh, and, and you know, just from little uh, clips and interviews and things like that. And so, but uh, so that I found very interesting, just kind of learning that. So, so growing up on a show like that and then seeing the real thing live. I mean, uh, was that what inspired you to to want to actually learn martial arts? Well, those were the seeds for yeah. sure. And then. Um, my buddy in third grade named Joseph Hiraoka, who mm-hmm. I believe is an attorney in New York right now. So oh, wow. he's kind of he's in your line of work. Um, he says to me, hey, I started taking karate classes and you got to go. And I thought, OK, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so he says, yeah, the instructor, is, his name is Glenn Robago, and I already told him, and he's, he's, he's already ordered your gi. And I'm like, well, what's a gi? And he says, oh, it's your suit. You know, it's your mm-hmm. uniform. Said, okay. So Joseph goes to tell my mom, and my mom says, well, you know, he, she thought it would be very good for me. I was not a very coordinated child. I was kind of on the shy side, so she thought it would be good. So we go to the dojo. We meet Mr. Glenn Robago. Now, I had told this story before, but now I was influenced still influenced by what I had seen on Kung Fu with David Carradine. Mm-hmm. So I got this idea that, you know, I needed to talk like Kane from Kung Fu. <laughs> Sensei Glenn was a, um, he was a brother from Hawaii, you know, and, you know, when I first met him, he goes, hey, how's it, boy son? You know, and I was like, hello, master. Uh, and <laughs> he says, okay, so you like start? And I'm like, Yes, but first I must use your bathroom. And he looks at me kind of strangely and he goes, you know, yeah, it's in the back. And my mom's looking at me like going, you know, what (laughs) is wrong with this kid? And why is he acting this way, you know? So we get past that and I get my gi. I forget to put the the ties on. And the first time I do a jumping jack, the gi just flies open. Oh, no. Wow. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I thought, you know, yeah, this is kind of cool. Um, but unfortunately, Glenn proved to be he he wasn't the greatest instructor. Um, he didn't show up a lot. He had his own demons. Mm. He was kind of irresponsible. But but worsely, he was um, worse. He was um, he's kind of a physically abusive to the students, even mm. the kids. Now, you know, I'm I've got nothing against old school hard training. But, you know, I was a kid who was just starting and 
you know, very early on, he says, okay, let's spar. And I remember him just, you know, kicking me with a sidekick and, you know, me hitting the ground and crying. Ouch. And I was like, I don't like this. Yeah. Um, I don't feel empowered. I feel, you know, like I'm being bullied and I feel very disempowered. So I began to dislike it very, very much. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to continue. Now, fortunately, Glenn's, uh, Glenn's brother, Richard Robago, uh, taught the school on Saturdays only. But at some point, Glenn, when he just no longer was around to teach, uh, Richard basically took it over, Sensei Robago. And um, that's the reason why I stayed primarily. Oh, wow. Because, you know, he was a great sensei. He's no longer living. But he was, he pushed us. But, you know, it was never personal. And he never let his um, emotions or his bad day, you know, get in the way of, you know, being a compassionate sensei. And it was him. And there was another instructor there at the time named Dave Lou. And Dave taught me a lot about kickboxing and okay. things like that. And that was sort of my first introduction to kind of cross training. Um, and my mom, you know, she just, she didn't let me quit. I wanted to quit several times, even after that, mainly out of boredom. And she did not let me do that. And so, you know, that's primarily the reason why I stayed in martial arts and eventually became a sensei. That's fantastic. And, you know, uh, moms are really, really great for that, I feel like. And uh, so you were studying, was it specifically karate? Was it a form of karate? Uh, what was the, the style or was it a, a, uh, sort of, uh, cause I know that, uh, back when I, I took karate briefly and it was just, uh, the sensei that I, uh, trained under, you know, he, he kind of developed his own system. So wow. I know that there's so many systems of martial arts out there. Uh, what was the one that you primarily focused on when you were studying? Well, I began with a style called Shorin Ru or mm-hmm. Oding Ryu. Um, it's an Okinawan style, one of the original Okinawan styles. You know, karate was um, basically, um, it's, it's an Okinawan art. And, um, you know, karate came from indigenous martial arts that were in the area at the time, you know, including some from Southeast Asia. So there was probably influ- influence from Siam and, you know, other um, places like that. And then it sort of developed its own identity in the early early 20th centuries. I think around the 1930s or something like that. It was officially named karate. But um, it just happened to be that was the style that Joseph started. It was the local dojo. I didn't go researching anything at the yeah. time. You know, yeah. it's like, and I just stuck with it just because that's what I did. It wasn't anything because of um, I thought, oh, this is the best style or whatever. You right. know, as, as it turned out, it, it, it worked out very well for me because of the Dave Liu, he introduced me to boxing and um, kickboxing and things like that. And then um, something happened to me when I was about 12 years old. I was a brown belt. I was in it for a few years. And then I started when I was almost eight years old. And, um, you know, I was getting kind of bored with it, as most kids do. But Cynthia Robago says, hey, we've been invited to go down to a movie in Hollywood. And it's a Bruce Lee movie. And I uh. said, interesting and you know i had not been exposed to bruce lee yet except through I, there was like a poster in the dojo and i wasn't really exposed to him i just i knew the name i knew what he looked like i knew he had passed away and the Olga says hey but um so it's, it's called the game of death and i'm like going well that sounds pretty cool mm-hmm. and the, the only thing was is that we 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 got in for free but everybody had to wear their uniform okay so then we all, you know, caravan down there, and my mom 
went to and she put on a gi too you know so it was pretty cool <laughs> um so we get there there's this huge crowd outside and then people are speaking before the movie and it, it was linda lee you know his widow oh, wow. and uh, dan inosanto shannon lee and brandon lee and they all were there so we go into the theater and the movie starts you know, and, and that movie starts with footage from Return of the Dragon, Way of the Dragon with Chuck mm -hmm. Norris. Yep. And it had this really amazing title sequence that actually still stands up today and a really amazing score by John Barry. And I was just like, this is so cool. I was just like, this is amazing. And um, I didn't realize that most of that movie was not Bruce at the time. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. Was stunned one. They did this. They didn't have CGI back yeah. then. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they had that one. Isn't that that the, the that's the movie with the one scene where they literally have like a cardboard cutout, right? On yes, yes, yeah. And you, you look back at it now, you're just going, "Ooh, that's just so bad." Yeah. Um, and the audience is staying fairly quiet. You know, after that first sequence, they've gone crazy. You know, they're they're enjoying this movie. You know, and then there's this part at the end of the movie where. Um, he climbs the pagoda and yes, the real yes. police shows up. You know, the footage they, that, that they uncovered. And John, the, the audience went nuts and people were taking flash photography of wow. the screen. Wow. The, and I was like, what is going on? And this electricity just just entered the room and it, in, you know, it infused me and I left there just transformed. And one of the first things I did was I had my mom order for me a set of nunchucks mm. from the Asian world of martial arts okay. in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And at that time they would actually mail them to you. So this was a game of death nunchaku replica, and it had the, you know, the black stripes on the, um, the yellow sticks. And I got those in the mail and you heard the, the, the angelic music mm -hmm. and you could see the clouds part. And I took them out and I hit myself in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a rite of passage for anyone who ever picks those up and tries them out. So, Well, um, and, you know, my mom was just happy that she was not going to lose any more broomsticks to me. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure most of us have like, let's find our mom's broomstick and cut it in half. Yeah, absolutely. It with Tie it together with some string. Yeah, no, I and, love that. And I actually still have those noon chocolates. Do you really? Uh, oh, that's fantastic. It, oh. It's the momentum of that time and it actually keeps me inspired i like to share that story with my students but no, that's, um, a, that's a fantastic story and and just being introduced to bruce lee that way i think is pretty pretty remarkable but something that you talked about so from your studies at some point you decided you wanted to teach you wanted to become a sensei so how long have you been a teacher you know my sensei uh, sensei Rabago would have you know have me assist you know he would you know throw me into class and uh largely with the kids because I was very good with the kids even back then I had a lot of patience you know I wasn't um generally I wasn't a yeller and I just had a I had a lot of patience I could sit there and you know work with somebody over and over and over again and not get upset and since they saw that quality in me so he kind of threw me in there and then pretty soon sometimes he wasn't coming to class, you know, since Rabago would sometimes say, Hey, could you take class? He was always doing it responsibly. You know, yeah. if nobody was there, he'd show up, but sometimes, you know, he'd be tired after working his day job or whatever, or, you know, or he had another gig and I would always be like, Oh, sure. Happy to do it. And other of his black belts also did that as well. So, but that's how I got, um, my, I started to get my experience. And then, um, 
you know, at some point I, uh, you know, after this was after Karate Kid, um, I needed to, you know, I was out of work. I, I needed to bring home some money, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, my, my oldest daughter, you know, had been born at that time around that time. And so I found work at the local park in Gardena as, uh, doing, you know, a recreational karate program. And that's kind of how I got my start on my own. And I kind of became the gypsy king of martial arts instructors because I was teaching at the park. My instructor would let me use his studio on Saturdays to teach because nobody was there. Um, I was teaching at the, the VFW building. I was renting space from a local Kung Fu instructor. And I did that for a few years until I finally was able to find a small place of my own. Ran that until 2008. Uh, that was the year the economy really crashed, yes, right? And, yes, um, yeah. I, I closed my doors. I was just teaching a couple of people privately. And then uh, around 2011, when um, my second daughter was being expected with my, my current wife, Sherry, um, she was uh, concerned about, well, you know, I'd really like to be able to spend time with our daughter. And I said, well, I can always go back to teaching. And, you know, that way... I can be off during the day when you go back to work. And then when you come home, I teach at night. So that was sort of the, the impetus for restarting my teaching career. And we called it Kaizen Dojo. And Kaizen is a Japanese word that has come to mean continual improvement. And I wanted to Mm. found the dojo on that philosophy, you know, rather than be, you know, this style or William Ford's karate school, it would be like, well, let's call it the Kaizen Dojo. This is the place where you go to learn to continually improve and to embrace that philosophy. Oh, that's great, and and it sounds like from your story, which is pretty extraordinary, you've you've weathered uh, quite a bit of storms. But uh, let's talk about a storm that impacts all of us. We're in 2020, and I'd love to ask you. So, you know, how have you adapted your teaching in the current pandemic that we're in right now? You know, um, when we first shut down, it was pretty scary, and I wasn't quite sure what to do. Now, this was. I, I had been used to working on camera with some of my, you know, YouTube creations, you know, with 52 Masters, with acting. That was very comfortable for me. But I had not been used to doing um, Zoom and mm-hmm. Skype. Yep. I mean, I had been a guest on certain things, you know, but I, I'd never done. So I'm like, well, how do you, how are we going to do this? So I kind of put it off for two weeks. Um you know, and, you know, that was kind of the wise decision. And let's kind of wait and see. And like, we got to wait this out. We hadn't really gotten a good view on, you know, what it's going to be or how long it's going to be. And we still don't, you know, really. But everybody's kind of adapted. So Zoom, it was free. And so we tried it out. And um, I was just very honest with my students. You know, they had been going to school for three or four weeks now, you know, maybe three weeks, you know, going and taking their classes via Zoom. So they were already up the curve and I let them help me get up the curve. So I was asking them, okay, well, which button do I push now, kids? Yeah, and yeah. how do I do this? And so they were kind of um, my teachers. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and that's I think great. they liked that. Um, they liked that I was open to being taught by them. And after a while, it's like, okay, I get this. And I was able to transfer some of my acting skills to teaching on Zoom. It sometimes feels like I guess if you're a stand-up comedian and sometimes you're not getting any response from the audience and you just have to understand there's a 
certain lag time. Yeah. Um, it's just different because you're on the screen. So it's not like when you're, you know, when you're in person with somebody, uh, you'll tell a joke and sometimes they'll laugh because they don't want you to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you've got a uh, online situation, it's just different. And so, yeah. um, but, you know, we're doing that and I try to be as engaging as possible. Um, I, I keep it very relaxed. You know, if somebody's dog or cat shows up in the background, I don't, it's no big deal. <laughs> um, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know, you, you, some of my uh, peers, I think early on, were getting really bent out of shape over this. And I was just telling them, look, you just got to relax, man. You know, they're in their house and they're on Zoom all day long. So be as fun and engaging as you can. Otherwise, you're just going to be another reason why they don't want to go on Zoom. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. nobody wants to go learn from Sensei Ogre, you know. <laughs> so, um, so we've got that. And um, I, I've, I've discovered that, you know, there's a lot of possibility with this because you can actually host classes from like two entirely different locations and I can still be in one location. Absolutely. So it actually expands the influence that I have. Uh, I do teach in person, but those classes are done right outside. So we... Yeah. We do have safety protocols in place with distancing, non-contact, and masks. But I bring the bags out. Um, I put Filipino collie sticks in their hands, and you know we always have our traditional kata that we can do. So we have a lot of options, even though there's really no contact. I love um, it, and, and it just sounds like you've adapted. I mean, it sounds like that's something you've been doing your entire life. It's just ad adapting to different circumstances and situations. So I'd love. To, to close this first interview, we're, we're going to have another conversation next week, but share one inspirational thought you had today with our listeners. You know, when I get students who contact me, you know, after many, many years and they say, you know what, your, your lessons stay with me and they change my life for the positive. And I see these kids who are now, in, in, in good jobs or, you know, being very successful or doing something in service to the community, I just feel like, okay, then I've done a good thing. And that just makes me feel so good. So, That's awesome. you know, me, me being able to give people tools that they can empower themselves with, it makes it all worth it to me. I love that. That is such a great way to end this conversation uh, sensei ford where can our listeners connect with you um i am on instagram as william christopher ford uh also on facebook as william christopher ford my email address probably the best address is kaizen dojo films at gmail.com fantastic and we will have all of that linked in the write-up which will be at bemovingforward.com sensei ford I want to thank you so much for taking out the time to share a little bit about your story. I learned a lot, as I know our listeners did, and I look forward to our conversation next week. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much.